0: So you dress for a meeting? And this is how you dress in Florida? In a suit? For a meeting? Mm. Anywhere. Florida, Timbuktu, I dress in a suit. For a meeting. And you're late. What? You're late. And it was traffic. Yeah, it's traffic. (laughs) Wasn't it traffic? Give me traffic. traffic. What, do you, what, what do you want from us? It was bumper-to-bumper. Yeah, yeah. No, no. It's, uh, it's bad, you know. Traffic. I never waited for anyone who was late more than 10 minutes in my
1: life. That's a great clip right there. That, of course, from Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, which, uh, before we get into it, Michael, you listen to the podcast, so tweet us, the underscore podcast, so I, I I don't buy the whole—it's a long movie. I get it, but— I don't buy when I see people on social media go, it was great, but it's so long. Yeah, so was the ten hours of House of Cards or whatever you just binge watched. They're
0: like <laughs> being long is not an excuse anymore. It's long, but like it, it's you, really you have long. I think honestly, it could have been longer put into a miniseries. Let's put it that way. Um, a three and a half hour Ooh. straight film. Like my wife said it's too long. It wasn't long and boring like I was waiting for the film to end. I thought it was great and i wanted to keep yeah. watching more but i wanted to binge watch a series that was maybe 6 hours. Long. I wanted to go roots with it. I wanted to get down to the roots if you will. Oh yeah.
1: It almost uh, became a mini series too. Scorsese was saying it could have been a mini series.
0: They but... could have covered all the time that he was in Louisburg. They could have covered more time when um the Kennedy I thing guess, going on? Oh, oh, totally. There's so much footage from the hearings that really was in the uh, horrible movie Hoffa by Danny DeVito in 1992. <laughs> yeah. Um, that could have been put in, but they just didn't have time. And they probably could have even really made a, a, a John Fitzgerald Kennedy character if they wanted to stretch it out longer. But, you know. So much uh, material. Yeah, I think at the time, if you're going to stretch it out to three and a half hours, which is way beyond even an epic two part movie, that's longer than The Godfather, it's longer than Schindler's List. No, it's an yeah, it's it's at that point you may as well make it a miniseries and go as far as you can with it.
1: I think uh, they did a great job, though. Um, I I I agree with you. I didn't feel like it was. uh, I was waiting for it to be. You know, over. it just kind of flew by. i do I do wanted it to be longer though, and in, in a miniseries. It would have been nice to have like a six part hour each miniseries. I think it yeah. would have been great. I, I think agree. they I think they did a great job of capturing like the mood when he's at the Machcus Red Fox or whatever Hoffa, right before he gets killed. Um, that whole day was just guys in and out. Uh, they showed you how isolated Jimmy Hoffa really was. and uh, yeah. The only thing I didn't like about the movie was the casting of Bobby Kennedy. I thought I thought they could have gotten a better actor. He didn't look or sound like him. It was
0: like you know, it's so I can't even remember who it was. That's how insignificant the part was. Now the guy who played him in the Hoffa movie—I mean, RFK has been played in so many movies. Um, Right, Elko Ivanek, however you pronounce his name, looked not a thing like him in the HBO film *The Rat Pack*. No, uh, not
1: at all. Thirteen Days, I think, got it right. Whoever that yeah,
0: Yeah, probably, he looked yeah. Like
1: him. Um, but in this one, he's like, Mr. Hoffa, that yeah. is not going to fly. <laughs> and I'm like, that's just, that's just you can tell that guy's just acting. He doesn't even look right, like him. Right. It had to be a relative or something. But I thought it was so, I didn't know the story before. Did you know the story about Sheeran, uh, the, the uh, Irishman? I, I, I didn't really know this.
0: The, I didn't know. Yeah, only what's, what had been put out in the build-up. Um, but, you know, there's so much back and forth. So Charles Brandt, who wrote the, the book, I Hear You Paint Houses, um, claims that the, uh, he had Frank Sharon in numerous sit-downs for the, over the period of five years. And the two of them sat down and talked, I guess, while he was in that nursing home. And um, yeah, he just took notes and let this guy divulge little by little each minutia of his life uh, leading up to the, the big points, which um, made for the story. And then there's this guy, I, Dan Moldea, oh who was writing the book, I think in the seventies for no half a rodent was writing an autobiography. This guy Moldea was writing another book, uh, claimed bullshit. Yeah. I think he was just jealous because Charles Brandt got the story that got publicized. I do too. Yeah, did. it was
1: all bullshit. He didn't kill anyone. He, he, he killed a lot of bottles of wine and things like that. No, yeah,
0: and he was a liar. The guy was a drunk and he was telling stories. And maybe he was. Maybe that's all true. Here's what maybe. I personally think. And uh, of course, world renowned forensics uh, pathologist Michael Bodden. Who was uh, famous in the nineteen seventy eight hearings? That when they re, um, reintroduced the case of the Kennedy assassination, that's kind of how he got his claim to fame. And right. then he came, and then he he got into the OJ trial, and, and then he, he started doing HBO uh, live. Right. Uh, what do you call them? Uh Like. Coronaries. Uh, he he was doing uh. He was dissected the people. What do you call it? Autopsies. Autopsies. Yeah, yeah, autopsy with Michael Bodden. So he claims that all the I evidence is consistent uh, in Frank Sheeran's story. My personal take, and Michael Franzese comes out right after the movie got released into the theaters, of course, because Michael Franzese is the all-knowing. Uh, he says, you know, great acting, great, incredible acting by Al Pacino and and – Robert De Niro, you know, as far as the story being accurate, you know, there's uh, been all this said. He never gives a straight fucking answer, Francis. Yeah, it's all over the place. Did you kill anybody? You you know, I get asked that all the time. I always ask people why the fascination with it. But, you know, if you killed everybody, there wouldn't be anybody left. It's like He's just (laughs) the worst interview and the worst commentator. Nothing specific. Uh, No, never get specific. And anyway, so... Franzi say, says that the uh, the story was great acting, but probably not credible. There's so many people that claim they killed Hoffick. Here's my personal take from Joe Schmo, live podcast. Yeah.
1: You're here to hear first, folks.
0: Of all the stories I've heard, I just think this is the most credible. We don't have the forensic yes. evidence. The forensic evidence that was uh, unearthed claimed that in that house it wasn't consistent with Hopper's dna that it was somebody else's dna in the blood well yeah because they probably whacked a lot of guys probably <clears throat> having something to do with the teamsters in detroit or maybe yeah, and Jack. and they didn't want him to be
1: found let's not forget this wasn't like hey they found hoffa who did it, it, they, it they did it, not want this guy to be found ever again
0: and and you never will And even yeah. actually friends no, he's said that. he's
1: uh he's what is it uh you know, evaporated, uh, disintegrated, uh, boiled in acid. Like, th- th- you're never going to find Hoffa. He's not buried anywhere. I'm, I'm certain of this.
0: Vaporize? I was just yeah. thinking that. Oh, yeah. yeah okay. No, he was likely we put into Mason. an incinerator. He was likely put into an incinerator. But I, but this, the reason I believe this story is because, you know, Jimmy Hoffa was no fool. He was doing battle with these guys. All the people who became his who were once his friends became his enemies. And he's going into this house. Do you really think he's stupid enough to get into a car with a couple of guys from Provenzano's crew and Sal Bergoglio and have nobody with him that he can trust and then walk into a house? I just think right. that if right. It, right. You would think that he'd want to have somebody he could trust, which is why Buffalino put Sheeran in there to do the job. Because he knew that he probably wouldn't have gotten into that car if he hadn't seen Frank Sheeran. That's just my personal outside looking and opinion. That's
1: true. And his son too was driving and they they they, they
0: they they created the scenario. Yeah. Although it's really weird. You never quite understand. I mean that's not how if I were putting a hit team together, I me personally, I don't think I would involve no. The son, because you got a witness now. That yeah, that's kind of foolish, but right. it was, maybe that, that was point. the point. Yeah. But I do
1: agree, it is the most credible and uh, out of everything you hear about Hoffa, um, you didn't like the origin- the movie in the 90s, the DeVito one, they did three scenarios in that one of how he died, and none of them were um, really it's plausible. So yeah. I think
0: Jack was a better Hoffa, though, personally.
1: He oh, no, like I agree. Him. Yeah. I think
0: he looked like him. He played the part better. You know, right. Pacino was... Um, how do I put it? He didn't look anything like him. No. He probably played the part well. Um, he played the part as I've seen him play on stage before. I don't know how to describe it. You'd have to see him at his theater work. He was you very... To- huh, you, you never trust... Millionaire's kids. I gotta go. I, I can't I watch this. I, 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 do, I, I, I don't know how to put it. He was just very... Um, I watched him in Salome back in 2002. Salome huh. the dance on yeah. Broadway. He played King Herod almost exactly like he played Hopper. And I'm not... You can never knock a legend like Al Pacino's yeah. acting. He's great in anything he touches. As far as that's just an observation I made. Um, That's a good call. It's it's just that style of his flow, his language, the way it flowed in in the script was more like that. It wasn't like watching him play any other character, but I, I immediately connected to, oh, yeah, it's like King Herod again when he was on Broadway. Right. And unless you've seen him on stage, you wouldn't know what I'm talking about. I do think the de-aging process
1: they used was done very well and respectfully. I was a little worried, like, all right, they're making these guys younger, yeah. CGI.
0: But you really, you really didn't know unless you just you knew that. I mean, it looked very realistic. The two contacts in his eyes. Look, what I thought was ridiculous. ridiculous. I thought De Niro did an incredible acting job. But was could they have found a guy who looked more of the part? Of course they could. Have. They could have actually found an Irish guy. Um, yeah, there's no, I, there's actually no sold. Irishman
1: in the movie. I read that on IMDb. There's not like a single Irish person in the movie. No,
0: Robson De not I mean, was like a quarter Irish. His father was half Irish. His mother was a million different things. Um, right, you're right. There, there wasn't. So I, they probably could have found a big old Irish, but you know that wouldn't have sold the same. So what do they do? They right. take the Niro, who's like five foot eight. They had to put lips on him to make him look taller. He's not a big guy. He's, yeah. 76 years old. So the de aging, of course, what? cost the students a lot of money. But I want to talk about that for a minute. Yeah. So, yeah let's Mart- get into that. so, Marty, um, I guess, went on Kimmel and he talked about how he had met with right. Al Pacino and Al Pacino and he had met back in like 1970. At the time, Coppola picked up Al Pacino and Scorsese was still small time working with his friends from the neighborhood, which was, you know, De Niro, Keitel, all the guys in the Lower East Side. streets. Right. So Coppola picks up Pacino and he um, shoots him to superstardom. And then it goes on a dog day afternoon and Marty Scorsese was still trying to make it with his crew of guys. So now he uh, gets he gets Al Pacino on board and um Apparently, he'd got him on board for the project like nine years ago. So we're going back now to 2010. Apparently, nobody wanted to fund the picture. That was the words that Martin Scorsese used. Nobody would finance the picture. Huh. I didn't I'm know looking, that. Well, I'm looking at that going, these guys, if you can't get a studio to finance you, you do like Mel Gibson did with Passion of the Christ, which, of course, no studio wanted to touch. You fund it yourself. Yeah, Why? And that grows 650 cause, million. hundred fifty billion. Cause you're filthy fucking rich. You can afford to finance it yourself. Of course. I just don't get that these rich guys don't want to put any money down to produce anything themselves. They ask for these studios to do it for them. They're so rich. Right. Never you do know Gibson
1: understand? did. Gibson right. put up like thirteen million of his own money. Movie grows six hundred fifty, which most mostly that went back to him. Um, the, the you have you have the money to do it, it's weird, and it's it is kind of
0: surprising that no studio wanted to pick this up. Well, it's the same thing, as you know. Um, I've I can't say financed a film, but I chipped in as a financier for one once, and it went belly up, and it was a whole lawsuit. And anyway, oh, yeah, right, long story
1: short, um, yeah, it was my movie, it was Revenge of the Don. I, I built Pescardi out of twenty grand. How about that vacation we took?
0: Mother, I saw that it was on Wikipedia. It's <laughs> so ridiculous! Is it Wikipedia? Yes, it is really interesting. Well, yeah. Um. <laughs> I found that today, actually. Wikipedia? What on, like Doylestown or something? I don't know something, but, but um... Wow. So anyway, uh, what the hell was I talking yeah, the about? The movie studios not picking this up. Right. These rich guys. Yeah. Oh yeah. So uh, I I put in for pre-production, and it was a small amount of money. It was like ten thousand bucks, and um, I remember saying to this these people, "So you're telling me you're, you're pitching me, little guy, little man, for the small fruit you're trying to uh, you're trying to get from me? You need." A hundred grand to make a fifteen million dollar movie. The hundred grand is is pre production money. I said, okay, all right. Well, I'll get it to you if you give me a contract that says I'll get this money back on X amount of days, X amount of months. Okay, I'll give you the money. And, and that was a whole nother story. But right, they were telling me that the pre production was going towards showboating the script to these movie stars. They were talking to Woody Harrelson, Bruce Willis, I think James Caan and I said you know all these people <laughs> are multimillionaires multimillionaires you're asking me for a little chump change <laughs> right to sit down to go to dinner with these fucking people yeah uh, that's what it is that's what it, it's what it was right and that's the money i gave for so naturally the movie never happens and i thought the movie was a good script i don't know if it'll be made it's very. I, I'm not gonna. I can't talk about it. Um, it's not an NDA or anything like that. But you know, good. Taste yeah, yeah. Up.
1: No, it's a. It's yeah. in production. You don't want to.
0: But it was about. Uh, it was a script that was ran along the lines of the Irishman. Let's just say it was good, and they probably had the kind of actors that could have put this together if they really wanted to. Yeah. They could have bucked their own money up, and nobody and, wants to pay. They want to do it for free. Uh, and Keep their money. Actors. Actors don't want to know what things cost they they just want to be paid a lot of money to act directors just want to be paid a lot of money to get a director's credit but they don't want to actually put up the financial risk
1: it's also tough too as an actor or a director i'm I'm imagining to put up a lot of your own money because then you're like worried about it as opposed to just focusing on your craft and and things like that but but when you have scorsese in his history I mean, really, it, it,
0: the studios really should have bit in this. Take a look at a guy like Al Pacino, who's now t- taking anything that comes to him. Yeah, he'll do anything. I just saw he's doing something about Nazi hunters, and it's going to be on, I don't know, Amazon Prime, Hulu, whatever. It's not going to be on the big screen. Right. This is a guy who is now 79 years old. Yeah. Uh, he could retire just on SAG... Royalties. Oh yeah, a interest on,
1: from the bank. He could live off
0: yeah. of. Um, but they all no, you know, they gotta keep working. They are going to work. The whole point of these unions. You you've got probably background artists, extras who've been working for thirty years, just doing being an extra on a studio lot. Who oh yeah. With the SAG pensions that they get. And you get these guys getting paid twenty million dollars a picture. And, right. Royalties for anything they appear on and when it's put on television, but they'll take anything yeah. and
1: De Niro has always taken everything people Sometimes forget that he's done a lot of great films, but he also did like Rocky and Bullwinkle and uh, He's Frankenstein, done
0: which sucked.
1: <laughs> yeah, right right. He's Frank it's the the guy will do anything if you pay him
0: he'll, he'll, He's not selective with no. his roles. No, he's done. I think he, he's a scumbag and I'm not sorry not uh, i'm actually i have no qualms whatsoever about saying to the world he's a total scumbag yeah he's
1: in that weird part of his life where he just needs to like enjoy his legacy and be quiet
0: but he's just turning off all kinds of people this big mouth who gets up at the Tonys just to say fuck trump like you need very
1: to say- yeah that's really that's really low class and also that, that as an artist as you know, a celebrity like you, owe, you owe it to people to to be a little bit more classy, and that that's just. I get alien. it.
0: You're a liberal. I understand. You came from a liberal upbringing. You grew up in Greenwich Village. That your doesn't parents, matter. Your father was gay. You, your parents were both artists. I get it. You're not coming from exactly a conservative background. I get it.
1: Yeah, but you don't see like DiCaprio
0: up there going "fuck Trump," you know. There's just certain right. things he'll do. Right. His thing is, I'm just gonna it's climate change. I believe in it. I'm gonna push for it, and whatever happens, if you like it, you can take it. If not, send it right back.
1: If not, I'll be right. If not, I'll be dating another 20 year old next week.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Which he still gets away with. There's no "me too" applied to DiCaprio. The guy's 46 and still. Uh,
0: Al Pacino's 70. I think his girlfriend's like less than 30.
1: Yeah, Dennis Quaid too. I think his girlfriend's like 20,
0: he
1: 20. and he's what? 60. But but as far as the Irishman goes, I was really interested to learn the guy Jimmy Sheeran from Philadelphia uh, Sheeran. worked with the Buffalino uh, – Sheeran, I'm sorry. What was his first name? Frank Sheeran. Frank Sheeran. Works in uh, – it's Ed Sheeran, <laughs> the singer. Ed Works Sheeran. Worked for the Buffalino crime yeah. family, which I didn't even realize was a thing up in, like, Wilkesboro, yeah. Pennsylvania.
0: Yeah, it was a um, northeast Pennsylvania crime family. He, he was a uh, – very small family but a, a small family that actually he personally had a lot of power with and one of the things i liked was that it was the first yeah. story being told about russell buffalino um, and his cousin bill buffalino the lawyer
1: right uh, ray Romano's I just, character i was
0: glad to see that that story was finally being told yeah
1: you were familiar with this i know you're you're you know a lot on the the american mafia and the history you were familiar with this before um kind of interesting. And I read about this guy. What was uh Pesci's na- uh, name,
0: Buffalino's first name? Russell Buffalino. He, he was Russell, American he was a Masa- Americanized. He came from Sicily when he was a little kid. Changes yeah, his name to Russell. This guy uh, had he, a lot of power. Yeah, he did. Yeah,
1: he really had a lot of power. He was helpful in orchestrating the uh the fifties big mob summit, yeah. um, crazy Joe Gallo and all that stuff. Uh, but the thing that's really interesting is Joe Pesci turned down this role something like 50 times. And finally, they got him to do it. What is, what is his deal? Is he just retired? He doesn't he want to retired. act? retired.
0: I think he just didn't, he didn't want to act. You know, uh, we were talking about this over Thanksgiving. My cousin said this. She um, Everybody starts talking about the Irishman. And my cousin said, I, I had never seen oh. a gangster so calm. And I said, that's right. That what he wasn't getting up there playing Tommy DeVito or Tommy DeSimone, and he wasn't getting up there even playing, you know, Vincent Laguardia Gambini, or ha, he, or uh, he was perfect for the part because, you know, Russell Bufalino wasn't a loudmouth, he wasn't a flashy John Gotti, he was, he, you know, a guy in the uh, the labor rackets in northeastern Pennsylvania. So quite, see, I think he should have played his character. On.
1: Right. I, he played it very calm, very well. I think he should have played his character, Harry, in Home Alone. <laughs> in uh, The Irishman, where he's just like, can you, <laughs> that back, chuk, 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 But he doesn't curse. Nine-year-olds rob candy stores, Mav. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kids are afraid of the dark.
0: <laughs> afraid of the dark,
1: too, mom. Um But it was really interesting, and I love... Uh,
0: yeah, so the point I was trying to say with, with yeah, my yeah, cousin, yeah. Um, he played the part like a guy who was just getting up there to read some lines and get paid and when they they said rap, go home. because i That's just, what he did. And that's what he did and it worked. It worked perfectly. He just doesn't want to act anymore. The guy just wants to be retired. Now, I don't know if he's, yeah, he's in an a, old guy. In Financial woes. Yeah, he's an old man but he's selling his house at the Jersey Shore somewhere like, I don't know, Manalapan or somewhere.
1: Manalapan. Oh, Margate.
0: Yeah.
1: Joey, he's with Joey Merlino in Marty. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, but I, he could be. He hasn't done a movie in forever. And that that stuff kind of you spend a lot of
0: that stuff. for it because he said, "You know what? I'll do it for you, Marty. You were good to me." It's Bobby. I've never worked with Al before. Maybe this would be nice. So, right, I think it, it worked out. But he played the part like a guy who was retired from acting, and it worked out beautifully. It was really good. Uh, Harvey Keitel played Angelo
1: Bruno. Angelo Bruno, yeah, uh, head of the Philadelphia crime family. What I liked about this movie a lot was they showed um, it was very like non-linear in the sense of it wasn't like yeah. beautifully shot and told in the sense that Scorsese usually does. They had the guy. Boom, on the screen. Shot five times in the head in 1980 while sitting in the car. They they showed yeah. this because they know people are going to be Wikipediaing these guys right, watching right. it. So they're like, here's what happened, which I, I thought Brilliant. was kind of cool. Because I did yeah. a lot of research on these guys after
0: just because I was curious. Yeah, Bruno was killed by John Stampa um, in 1980 because they had their own wars going on. I mean, it's still the Bruno family as far as I know. And that was what led to Joey Molino and the wars the Stanford Wars or whatever they had in Philadelphia. I'm not a, an expert on the Philadelphia mob wars, but, um, you know, subsequent to Angelo Bruno's mm-hmm. getting killed. Right. Uh, there were a lot of wars, a very significant part of Philadelphia history, uh, which also involved a lot of the Gambino crime family. Sammy Gravano was tight with yeah. Phil Ligonetti and, um, and his uncle Nicky Scarfo. And, right. uh, the, he, he helped kind of, um, I don't know, play as a mediator. Yeah. All that was going on. Yeah, he so, kind of got the, a hand in there. Yeah, very, very violent time between, after uh, Angela Bruno was killed. But up until from 1980, I guess, to 2000, just a lot of, right. uh, it's, a lot of gangland it's, war going
1: on. You can read a lot know. about that. You know your history very well. It's pretty interesting. There was a character... In the Irishman, uh, Jimmy the Weasel Frattiano. Uh, I read it.
0: I didn't know he was in the Irishman. Very,
1: Man. very bit part. I read a book about him uh, called The Last Mafioso in high school. I read it in like two days in class because um, I, I just was fascinated by it. And yeah. he, when I was researching this, they were talking about the different crime families in the U.S. And there was like, you know, he was head of the Los Angeles crime family, which right. I, I didn't even really know. And then you look up these guys and you, it's interesting to see, like, Los Angeles crime family, you know, made members, twenty people, and then you look at Gambino, five hundred, and it's amazing. They have these little sects, even in twenty nineteen. But there's some of these only have like fifteen guys in there, just because it's it got decimated with the government technology.
0: It's pretty. Yeah, I I didn't know that uh, Jimmy the Weasel Fradiano was in the Irishman. I have to go back and look at that. But he, I uh, I only knew it because I saw the his casting. uh, Oh, I didn't know. Uh, He was. yeah, an interesting guy, uh, Cleveland or, uh, yeah, Cleveland guy who um, moves out to Los Angeles. Right, but his clubs made careers for guys like Jay Leno, who used to play in Jimmy the Weasel Fradiano's clubs. And, oh, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, and he was actually made famous by uh, Fradiano. and then of course he became a government informant. Um, hey, it was singing. But uh, yeah, he he was he was he made a lot of. Famous comedians' careers because he owned the clubs. So it's
1: pretty interesting when you think about that and yeah. the history there. Uh, one thing that was good about the Irishman, I thought, was the settings. Uh, they did a great job with the uh, the set pieces, um, the cars. Uh, some of those cars are like ah, so some of those old Cadillacs. Yeah, this is great. Um, but then when they showed uh, Jimmy Hoffa t- towards right towards the end of his life. Uh, he was very much in denial. There's a scene, I think it was Atlantic City, could be wrong, where they're honoring um, Sheeran for his uh, recognition in the the union, and you know he he's telling them all these mob guys are like, yo, you need to stop. They're gonna kill you. We're not right. crying wolf anymore. And he's like,
0: oh, nobody does this to me.
1: And he keeps going, and it's like, what do you think? What do you what did you think was gonna happen? I mean, yeah. he should have
0: walked away. Uh, it's. Talk about a death. It's one of those things where I don't think anybody will ever know what went on through the mind of Jimmy Hoffa, particularly between the periods of 1971 and 1975, where he was trying to get the union back.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, but it, you know, here's my take on on the guy. He was right the entire time. Those Kennedys were bad news. He warned everybody. Don't trust this guy. And what yes. happened? You know, all the they all the, the guys, yeah, Tony Pro and Sam Giancana, you know, from Chicago to New York, are all saying, we need this guy, Kennedy, because he's going to be the guy to get Castro and put us back in Havana. And no. none of that worked out. And, and what did Kennedy do? And he appointed the slime bag brother of his. And what who, happened? I'm ashamed to say <laughs> my mother shook his hand. Oh, really? Um, yeah, back in 1968. Really? And uh, he warned these guys. He warned everybody. And what That's happened? And, you know, he stabs them all in the back. The people who got him elected puts appoints his brother. His brother goes, who's ashamed his of his, attorney general, top cop, and who was who ashamed of his father's legacy. And he wants to prove that he's the good boy in the Kennedy clan. He's gonna put all these guys behind bars.
1: We're gonna stick the and Washington monument right up the rents. Right <laughs> uh, and
0: I, I just, just thought it was I just want to act, Frank. Um, so I you know, you gotta give Hoffa credit for that. He didn't trust him from the get-go, but all these guys didn't listen to him. And he was and yeah, you know, he, he went to jail for the reasons that he went to jail for. Um Right. And then when he comes out, Nixon gives him a pardon because he contributed like half a million dollars to the Nixon campaign, which you gotta think was a lot of... That was a big chunk of change back in yeah, that's a lot of dough. That's a lot of skin. Tracy, that's a lot She's of Tracy, dough. Tracy, that's a lot of dough. And... Uh, 50,000 clams. <laughs> what, do we, so, what do we eat? <laughs> so, uh, I... I You know, it's tit for tat kind of thing, but part of the agreement was Nixon told him, you can't have any union business, you can't be affiliated, they're going to let you have your pension, so he walked away with like a million and a half from from his Teamsters pension. Uh, that was part of the agreement. He could retire at least until 1980, which by that point they figured he was going to be an old man anyway and he wasn't going to be interested probably in going back to the Teamsters. But the Teamsters was all this guy had. You know, he didn't aspire to be a gangster. He just rubbed short, you know, he let let certain people into the unions and then, uh, you know, halfway into it, in the mid-60s, he really didn't want to be um, – he didn't want to have the the mob connection that he did. So he didn't really want to give away these loans. So guys like Buffalino and uh, guys like um, Fradiano or even the Chicago outfit in, in Vegas who was getting these loans from the Teamsters pension. Right. This guy, right. Fitz, Fitz, who replaces him while he's in Lewisburg. Is giving yeah, loans fits. out to everybody. And so they, they mm-hmm. knew that they said, wow, this guy's a cash cow. We'll never have a problem getting approved for a loan with uh, right. this guy fits." while Hoffa's in jail. When Hoffa comes out of jail, he wants to take back power. And that wasn't really in the best interest of anybody who was working, you know, the five boroughs of Philadelphia or Chicago or, or Los Angeles or Las Vegas. Yeah. Um. They wanted this. They wanted to to keep their personal interests at at hand at heart, and yeah, as uh, you, were. you know, and, and so Hoffa wasn't really for that.
1: No, he wasn't a fan. And to put things into perspective, listeners, of how big the union was back in the heyday, it's not like today where you have all these companies and contractors and companies have their own truck. The union pretty much controlled anytime you got any service. You got pillows. You got meat. Whatever. There was always a union backed truck driver yeah. that was delivering these. They really kept the country, in a way of saying, in a point of speaking, they really kept the country going in the sense of what they did. So when you have this guy, Hoffa, who's in charge of this, there's a lot of politics, there's a lot of money involved. I mean, the power was real, and I felt but like he what's should have ducked. Funny
0: is, and you take from a duck, guy who was very... Duck, John, for duck, duck. very duck duck sometimes, John. <laughs> from a guy who worked for the unions for a very short period of time, um... Labor unions, I, I don't begrudge them. I think they pu- give the working man a voice. They give the working man a uh, a pension, a retirement. Right. But if if you're a conservative, you know you don't you don't like unions. And if you're really not in a big city, you're not pro union. Um, unions are really big city, and unions are big government. If you yeah. move down to the south and you want to be a painter. When, or you want to be a carpenter or uh, an electrician. Right. You don't have to go to the IBEW or the uh, Painters and Allied Trades, which I was with. Oh, yeah. Because it's free market, it's free enterprise. Everything is unionized in the big cities, and that represents big government. The Democrats are for True. big government. That's why a lot of union guys vote Democrat, the working stiffs. The, the, they want their pensions. Oh, yeah. If you're a Republican Kennedy. like Nixon was, or, yeah, you would think. But, uh, you know, Hoffa wasn't for that. It's kind of an oxymoron in a sense. It is. Uh, but, the, yeah, the, you know, Nixon obviously was liberal, but Kennedy wasn't really that liberal. Um, no. No, so. no he
1: was, not at all. Uh, and we're talking about the unions as far as the Irishman is uh, – the film is concerned – there was so much vested interest with a lot of these guys in there. It wasn't just like, "Hey, we're throwing kickbacks." You're getting. I mean, guys had brother-in-laws employed as presidents. There were pensions tied up. There were special interests. There were. It was basically a cash cow of things happening. They detailed early on in the film about uh, De Niro's character uh, with the meat, um, kind of making these deals very early on. There was so much business involved that if a spoke in the wheel
0: got fucked up, um, a lot of people were getting pissed off. You know, there was so much money, a lot the of mom. money, a lot of money going through. And like you said, at the time, unions were larger than anything. So naturally, the mob took advantage of it. Anywhere you could make money, the they were there. You know, worm yeah, their way into that apple.
1: He's all business. I would honestly, I wouldn't mind getting a piece of this myself. Hundred grand, give or take fifty uh, <laughs> percent. That's a, a quote from Gotti, which I watched again. I usually watch Gotti like once a year. And I, I want to get your opinion on this, Michael, not to shift gears so rapidly, but um, Saber Gravano, the 1996 HBO film Gotti, played by William Forsyth. What are your thoughts on his acting performance? Because there's some scenes where I'm cringing watching him like, it's the boss we chose, John. He's the boss. I'm like, ah, he didn't talk like that. But he. But I think he did a good job. What do you think well, about
0: his character? I think he's a he plays a good gangster, William Forsyth. Um, you know, was a Brooklyn guy. But he's he's a real Brooklyn guy he's from Bed Stuy, for Christ's sakes. But yikes, is he uh, Sammy Gravano? No. no, no, it's fun. It's
1: a boss we got. It's Cosa Nostra, John, it's Cosa Nostra.
0: You know what's funny about Gravano is everybody they get to play these parts. They've had <laughs> William Forsythe. They've it. had uh, uh, Nicholas Totoro. Yeah. They had scumbag William DeMeo, who jerked off on my friend's couch in front of her. Um, what? Really? And, you know, none of them look a thing like Sammy. Sammy, believe no, it or they not, don't. He's, um, you know, he's, uh, he's actually more, he's a little guy, but he's what you would call a Nordic Sicilian. He's light. He's got blue eyes, he's got very light hair. They always get these jet black, greasy, stereotyped Italians to play him. Yeah. And four sides. I don't know what his Italian heritage is, but whatever. they greased him up to look really dark in that movie. And right. he's also too tall. Well, you yeah. Know, Sandra is only like five foot five. He's a little guy. Um
1: Oh, he's that that tiny. He is
0: not a dark he's not. He doesn't fit the stereotype. He was like the polar opposite of what John Gotti looked like, who was greasy, dark, you know, olive skin, jet black hair, and right. brown eyes. It was not like that. He and, actually looked more like my grandmother with blue eyes, and uh, you know, short stature. Right, my no, it's true. My grandfather Leonardo came to this country. I looked at his his um, papers. It was blonde hair, blue eyes, from Tropi. That's Go interesting. Figure.
1: Also, too, you spoke about this on a podcast in 2016. I'd have to find the show and, and tweet it, but you were talking about the portrayal that uh, Saber Gavano has in a lot of these films where he's you know portrayed as the rat, which he was, but they don't really talk about how bad John Gotti treated Sammy Gavano. Like, that guy was a real piece of shit to him.
0: Yeah, I wish we could it. get him on the show and ask him. Um, but Would it's, love to. he's told this story. So he was uh, on uh, an interview last month with a guy who I don't know how he yeah. gets all these people. It's on I YouTube. Really Check it out. Don't, I don't know how this guy, Patrick, Bet David. Maybe we should interview him.
1: Oh, yeah. As it's as on it. YouTube, listeners.
0: Who Check this out. Everybody. He gets all these people on his show. Is this amazing. a YouTube sensation. So, Gravano does his show, and he did it probably after Johnny A. Light. He got his interview, and Johnny A. Light is very pro-Gravano because he hates the Gotti so much. Um, Yeah. So, Gravano's on the the show, and he, 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 like, two and a half hours, he's going straight telling stories. Um, And, of course, it's unfiltered. It's not like the Diane Sawyer, which I watched back in 97. And uh, it was... It was a good interview. Pretty telling. Pretty good. He he, he really yeah, I'm telling. But what, what what was the question again? Oh God, he treated him so bad. He treated him badly. I like don't have the a boss personal the boss. opinion either way. But there was an interesting story that he told about when he was in MCC, and uh, I guess they're in the visitors room. Him, Frank Luccheseo, and Gotti are all in the visitors room together, and I guess his wife Debbie is rubbing his hand or something, and. So John says Frankie Lacasio over to say, "Hey, what are you doing?" Here? You know, John's watching you. Yeah, you're supposed to be underboss. What are you doing? Let your wife cup your hand like that. So if that's a true story. I mean, that goes to tell you. Yeah. Who well, who says that? Piss you off if you're going away. If you're looking at a life sentence because some guy in a, uh, in his mouth on tapes. Right. Yeah. Which he did. But uh, he talks about a couple document. of things in his. But there's one thing I'd like to talk to him about. If we could ever get him on the show, Salvatore Sammy Gravano, you're you're welcome on the, the new podcast. Yeah, you're welcome. I read his book, and it's been over twenty years, so I don't know if I remember it correctly. I could have, you know, be senile. Oh yeah. But in his book, if I remember correctly, they could have beaten the case if there there actually would have been no case. Supposedly, according to the book, underboss. They were all uh, ordered by John to go on the lamb and disappear for a while. Because I guess there was a, a statute of some, somehow. Yeah, Somehow, I guess, John knew there was a statute of limitations, whatever. Yeah. Uh, they can't find out. They probably weren't privy to that because nobody, the FBI is not going to come up to you and say, Hey, if we don't get you by um, right. Thursday, it's dead. day done. But supposedly there was. And... Um, he finds out after the fact that there was a statute of limitations that would have run out um, in December at the end of December of 1990, and ooh. So according to the book, they all went on the lamb. but John called a meeting and called everybody back to the Ravenite. Ah, um, so that's where they got pitched. That's where they got pinched. So I've never heard anybody ask Ravano about that. Uh, but I do remember it was in the we book. Will. So
1: Yeah, because they were pitched December, I think, like 10th or something. Close to
0: the anniversary of the Castellano hit.
1: Right. Yeah, you see that. It was like five years or so. What was the Castellano hit? 85? Yeah, December 85. 16th. Yeah. and But I didn't know that. That's amazing. They that just you know, hid for a that
0: little was bit. A, Again, it's been over 20 years since I've read that book.
1: Oh, we got to ask him about it. Uh, well,
0: does, does he have a... Social media presence, Gravano. It's going to be on a podcast. There was one thing he brought up yeah, we in an interview that was in the book that I remember. It was when he was at Fort Jackson, South Carolina, where I went for basic training. And he's talking about how he was doing kitchen duty, which, you know, when you're a private, you, we don't do that anymore. And there was a black guy working with him, and I guess he was from the Bronx. And these two southern rednecks come up and call him boy. Hey, boy, give me more beans or whatever. And he clocks him with a... a, a label. Oh. I remember that from the book.
1: Gravano. Yeah. He clocked him. Yeah, he doesn't fuck around. How yeah. many hits did he do? That are known. How many like people
0: did he whack? 19 is what he was accused of. He's uh, a serial killer. There was a story about I guess, I don't know, 2006 or seven. Yeah. So, um, he was... There was a, a guy named Peter Calabro who was a New York City police detective, and he got killed. Um, yeah. Supposedly, Gravano and Richard Kuklinski, the Iceman, were supposed to do this job together, but... Um, the Iceman. Iceman dies in 2006, and he's accusing... He on his deathbed is telling his wife they're trying to kill me. Gravano's doing this from prison because he knows I'll talk or whatever. Uh, and then Gravano, everybody came out and said what a bullshitter a Richard Kuklinski was. That he wasn't really mobbed up, and it's funny because I heard his name while Kuklinski. I was While I was working in a prison, there was an okay. actual mob hitman that I'm talking to one day. Oh yeah, said. He was talking to this other kid who was my number one, I guess, my, my partner on, on the on the shift. Your partner. And he's talking about my partner. And he's talking about Kuklinski and how he was such a stone-cold killer. But there's so many reports that say, yeah, the guy's a killer. There's no denying. The man's a murderer. Did he murder for the mob and Roy DeMayo's crew? Well, no, uh, that's a bunch of bullshit. A guy named Dominic Montelio who was really? uh, in the witness protection program, came out. I, he even got on YouTube, I think, and said, Yeah, this fucking guy, what, what did he think we needed to order this dumb Pollock huh. to go do? We had our own people to kill people. What did we need this dumb Pollock for? And then Gravano, in this recent interview that he did last month, says this fucking piece of shit, because I guess the interview that yeah. David said, what does this name mean to you, Richard Kuklinski? And it's kind of funny because Gravano says, Oh, who's that? The but, Iceman? Like he'd never heard of him. And he goes, Oh, what a piece of shit. He's a lying piece of shit. I wish the I could think. But what's funny about it is all these guys say that he's full of shit. And there were stories that, you know, he never really knew the DeMeo crew. The only time he ever came by the Gemini Lounge was to go pick up weapons or something. He was buying a gun off of Roy DeMayo's crew. So, anyway, keep that in mind. So, I'm sitting in a housing unit, and I'm listening to this hitman who actually had legitimate confirmed kills. Uh, he was actually put in prison by a guy that he shot who was in a wheelchair being wheeled into the hospital at Brooklyn uh, um, uh, oh. in Brooklyn. <laughs> or not Metropolitan, I'm sorry, a Methodist on 7th Avenue in Brooklyn, and the guy he shot gets wheeled in while he's working as security, and he goes, that's the guy who shot me. And uh, so he <laughs> got a life... Yeah, so, and he he. Wow. See, so, there's, uh, there's so finish. much material. Yeah, well, anyway, getting back to Kuklinski. So, <clears throat> going on talking about the Iceman and what a stone-cold killer, but I'm hearing all these stories about how he's full of shit. And the next housing unit over was a guy in Anthony, uh, in Roy DeMeo's crew named Anthony Center was, you know, pretty famous. Uh, I never had any interaction with yeah. Anthony Center. All we did was I walked past him on the out in the yard once, and I gave a nod. Crazy. He nodded to me, but I never met the guy. I didn't talk to him. But I'm hearing all this story b- building up this guy Kuklinski when. Well, if he's really full of shit, you couldn't. You ask the guy who was in Roy DeMeo's crew who killed Roy. It was part of the Roy DeMeo hit. He's in the house. Yeah. Next. So, um. Anyway, I, I don't know. I never asked and in inquired. Wouldn't what be year? Good. Wait, Kuklinski died. That's pretty amazing. But Kuklinski
1: died in two thousand six. Yeah. His wife never knew what he did. He was. They thought he was uh, a that's was, too. Uh, oh, did the wife know? So
0: oh, I, I re- tried. I, I reached out to his daughter. It. It's pretty good. No, oh, it's a bunch of bullshit. So I really? I tried to reach out to his daughter once to get her on the show. Really, he's got a daughter named Crystal. She has a blog. I tried to reach out to her to come on the show.
1: Oh, Why it, wouldn't she come on?
0: I I don't know. Maybe she didn't get it. But the mother, who is actually, bitch! was she is kind of a bitch. <laughs> Yeah, the mother knew. We'll uh, she she played this story like she didn't know her husband, and the, everything. They were like the Cleavers, oh. and, and everything was so copacetic up there in Wyckoff Bullshit, or wherever though. the hell they lived. He was a wife beater, child beater. Supposedly, wow. the wife and the daughters plotted to kill him. Really? Household. Yeah. Why don't they come on the show? We should. What's her What's her name? Crystal uh... Klinsky, Yeah. I tried. tried to reach out to.
1: Wow, um, there's so know. much material. With the, there's so much source material for like more films and things like that. Um, I really think the mob genre genre should be bigger than it is.
0: Well, there's only so many stories you can tell. Um, right. The one that I'd like to see told is the Westies. What's 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 that? Um. So the Westies Fratiano were the uh, Irish mob of, the, of Hell's Kitchen. Ah. On that note,
1: I want you to savor that, that juicy potato. We're going to take a quick break and we shall return for more discussions on a Italian-American subculture in the film <laughs> The Irishman right after this.